Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. All right, great guys. So hey, uh, we're starting this uh, this series called uh, God is in a Manger. Um, so today I'm, I'm kicking off the series as a three-part series. Uh, it is uh, the anticipated Christ is uh, the title of my message this morning. And if you take a look at the Bible, um, the Bible is an incredible book, right, for many, many reasons. And the Bible is a saga, right? It's a long, dramatic history of how God works with humanity to achieve the, th- uh, the thriving life he's always wanted for his creatures, all right? So that's really, if you had to do, summarize the Bible in a nutshell, that is what it is. And I say it's a saga because if you think about it as well, to the, it's quite inconceivable as well that the God who created the cosmos, the universe, you know, everything that we see in the sky, the stars, the planets, the earth that you and I walk around, and he created you and myself, all right? That, that, incredible, that incredible creator, he came down to earth, he came down to be here in the form of Jesus. And if you think about it, like Jesus was born in a stable, all right? I, I own a stable. I, I own a horse farm as well too. And for those who haven't been to a stable, it's kind of smelly in there, all right? Take, take my word for it. You know, horse poop, you know, it doesn't smell too great. And if there's pigs on the farm, next level, guys, next level. Uh, if you go into a stable, you'll find, um, again, horse poop, you'll find... Uh, animal saliva all over the place. And the manger, which is a feeding trough, uh, Stefan built a, a, an amazing feeding trough for our sheep that we owned at one time, this wooden structure. And there was, it was just like there was all kinds of animal fluids against this thing. Sorry, I'm so graphic. But it's just not a place really that you would lay your child in. Any mothers in the house that will lay their child in a saliva-laden uh, 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 feeding trough, uh, newborn, Any, anyone? No, I know my wife would definitely not. <laughs> so, so, you know, so I, I just think about, you know, the humility of God. I'm the creator of the cosmos, the universe, the planets that we see in the sky, all the way to the details of atoms. We were walking around, the boys and myself, we were, uh, I took them pulka, uh, pulkaing, I don't know if that's even a word, uh, slay, slaying on their sleighs, and we, we had a look at the, the grass, and there were these fine little uh, crystal, um, uh, 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 water crystals that formed on the side of the grass blades, and we were just seeing the sun beam through it, and it was shining as if like the whole field was lit, and I, and I showed my boys, and I said, look at the, this awesome detail that God created and we have, we have this, this incredible creator that found himself coming down to earth in our midst and found himself born in a manger. You know, Jesus wasn't born in a, in a castle or a mansion. You know, he wasn't bathed in a crystal bath. No, he was, he was born in a manger. And so Jesus really is, you know, a, 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 a symbol of just humility, God's humility, and that's who he is. And he, he brought Jesus into this world uh, in that way, and he wanted to he wanted to say something about that. There's messaging behind that, and uh, we'll get back to that a little bit later. You may be thinking of Jesus uh, as Jesus being around for 33 years, right? He was uh, he was um, he was born in Bethlehem. He was raised as a child in Egypt, and he grew up as a young man in Nazareth. 
And he, 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 you know, so, and then at the age of 30, he was released into his ministry. John, uh, his cousin, baptized him. And for three years, he assembled a 12 bunch of guys who kind of like were just misfits and just being able to bring the gospel to the world. And, and that's why you might think that who Jesus is. Uh, but Jesus actually has been around for much, much longer. All right. Jesus has been around from the beginning. Uh, let's turn to, to John 1 1 in the NIV. Uh, it, uh, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All right, so the Word in this instance is Jesus. You can find Jesus on almost or pretty much every single page in the Bible. Jesus is the Word. He is the Word. So He was with God in the beginning, and He was God. So two parts of the, of the, um, of the Trinity, Jesus uh, and, and God were there from the beginning. Holy Spirit was there too. The Bible just didn't mention it in this instance. But it is God. Jesus was there from the beginning with God in the beginning. But Jesus wasn't only there in the beginning, but he's also in the end. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Watch this next section. Revelations 21, 5 to 6 NIV says, He who was seated on the throne said, so, Jesus, so God is speaking over here, I will make all things new, or everything new. He said, write this down, for the words are trustworthy and true. Listen to this. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. That section is also, uh, if you remember, Jesus sitting at uh, the well, at Jacob's well, at, uh, the, on the outskirts of Samaria. He was speaking to the woman there, and he said to her, that if you drink of the water that I give you, you will never thirst. So again, the Bible is so interconnected in all different areas, uh, or Scripture just references each other all in all places. But again, in verse six, it is done. I am the Omal, uh, I am the Alpha, uh, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. God is timeless. He lives outside of time, and so does Jesus. And so I just wanted to bring it to your attention that that Jesus was there from the very beginning when God was creating the earth, and He's going to be there till the very end as well, to your scripture confirms. Jesus has been around all the time. Let's close our eyes and let's pray and let's start the service. Thank you, Father, for all that you've done for us in this life. Thank you for being there at the beginning and you are with us right now and you are with us in the future, in our children's future, and our children's children's future. We know, Father, that you are faithful, that you are with us in all circumstances. We praise you, Jesus. We worship you, Father. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, what would a riveting saga be without good and evil? You know, the villains and the heroes. Hey, the villains and the heroes. Come on, let's think about it. Like every great riveting saga has a storyline where you've got a villain. He's kind of like he comes along in the middle or so, and, and he's about to win at the end of the movie or the book, and then the hero comes in and he sweeps in and takes the day, and he wins, and all is victorious, and there's a happy ending. And I think if you think about it, that is, that is a great saga. Right? What would a movie be where the, where, where the villain wins? 
I mean, like, that wouldn't feel so good, right? That, that, that wouldn't feel so good. And I, and I just think that that, that, is, that is the story of this book as well, too, that we have the end story as well, where Jesus comes in and is just revealed that he is the, the lion and the lamb. He takes over and he wins and he's victorious in the end. And so for me, I just, I just realized that there's so many villains in the Bible. If you, you read about them, there's biblical villains. You have Pharaoh, you have Goliath, Nebuchadnezzar, Herod, you have Pontius Pilate as well too. You know, all these guys and they, 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 their alignment is with the embodiment of evil. And that's Satan. That, you know, they, they associate and are aligned with that. But if you look at the heroes in the, in the Bible, it's incredible. There's a, there's a number of them. You have Moses. You know, what, what an incredible opportunity that he had to be able to bring those people out of Egypt, take them through the desert, and also then send them off so that they can go into the, into the new land or the, the, the promised land that, you, that, that God promised them. What an incredible testimony of faithfulness that Moses showed. You, you've, got, uh, you've got David as well, too, that slayed Goliath, came there with a, you know, just a sling and a couple of stones and, and pretty much slayed this giant, impossible. Like, hey, man, like, who does those things? You've got, uh, you've got uh, Daniel as well, too. He was cast into the lion's den. He lay there for a night, and, I mean, everyone expected him to be devoured. But God was there with him. He was elevated to second in command as well, too, in a land that he was taken as a prisoner. Daniel, what a, what a hero. John the Baptist baptized so many people, paved the way for Jesus, eventually died because of what he believed. And then, of course, Jesus, our, the cornerstone. What a hero he is. Died for you and me so that you guys can, and, and, and I can have relationship with God, our Father. All of these heroes, they triumphantly went through a struggle, but they were triumphant in the end. They were triumphant because God was with them in all circumstances. They were able to overcome. Going back to, to the evil part, and we go turn to Genesis, and uh, evil appears in the form of a, ser a serpent in, in Genesis 3. He is deceitful, advice given by the serpent basically leads to the, to the exile and the separation of God. Adam and Eve leave the garden. Let's turn to the story over here in Genesis 3, verses 1 to 5. NIV uh, says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God said you may not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or, will you, or you will die. The serpent said, you'll certainly not die. No, 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 no. You will not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. It was a tragedy that happened in the Garden of Eden that, that day. Eve listened to, to the serpent and God, you know, so, so God really is, is, is just like he's wandering around in the garden as he normally did when Adam and Eve were around. And he was calling out to them. He's like, hey, where are you guys? They find themselves hiding 
ashamed. Adam said we were naked. And God's like, oh, hang on a second. Who told you we were naked? Came with a bunch of prompting questions around, did you eat of the fruit that I told you not to eat? And, and the whole line of blame gaming started going on from there onwards. And Adam was like, no, no. the woman told me to take that. <laughs> called a woman. He didn't call her Eve at that time, the woman. I'm like, oh, right. He, he, she gave me the fruit. And the woman said, no, but it was the serpent who gave me the fruit, who told me to eat it. And, and I guess the serpent's like, well, I don't have anyone to blame. It was me. I don't think he owned to it. I don't think he owned up in the end. But um, so, so God, I mean, he, he turned to the three of them and he reprimanded all three of them. I'll get to the serpent reprimand now in a moment. But he said to the woman in Genesis 3, uh, verses 16 to 19, and it goes like this. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. Your painful labor, you will, give to, uh, you will give birth to your children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree, about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. From the dust you are, and the dust you will return. So you might be thinking at this point, well, all right, all mankind is doomed at this point. It's like, okay, they've just created the first sin, or they've they, they, they committed the first sin. And uh, you might think, that, okay, hey, you know, it's, it's all lost. Mankind is just going to be going to be thrown under the bus. God is going to toss them out of Eden. That's it. They're done for. God has wiped his hands. He said, you may be thinking that, hey, like, I mean, God must have made a big mistake with these, with these humans that he created. This is maybe where you're thinking at this point. But he, he spoke, and as I said, he reprimanded all three of them. And he started off with a serpent. And he said this to, uh, he said this to Satan in Genesis 3, verses 14 to 15. He said this to him, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, or offspring is sometimes translated as seed. You will crush, uh, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And so this is, there's a very fancy word for this. It's called proto-evangelum. Uh, which is basically a foretaste of the gospel. God was not done. God was not done with mankind. So already before reprimanding Adam and Eve, he first reprimanded the serpent, and he said that I will bring enmity between you and the woman and, be, and between your offspring and, and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It's a foretaste of the prophetic of Jesus Christ on the cross, and being raised from the dead again. Incredible. Like Jesus was already there in Genesis 3 already. God already prophesied the coming of Christ in Genesis 3. You will strike his heel. Basically, it was Satan getting it right to, to have Jesus nailed to the cross, 
But Jesus will crush his head is when he was resurrected. So already back then, there was prophetic about Jesus, the coming of Jesus. And so, uh, and so for thousands of years, you know, Jesus, you know, there was a number of years or thousands of years that went on from the time that that word was spoken until Jesus came. There was, there was quite a few years. And, and you can imagine, like, there was this foreshadowing of the arrival of a hero who triumphs over evil, and that was Jesus. It was a foreshadowing. So this, this scripture, this piece of text was a foreshadowing of what was to come. What was to come. And this messianic hope and anticipated Christ was, 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 was spoken about in many different Bible texts. So that the Old Testament is just full of the prophetic of Jesus coming. Full of the prophetic in his life. The Psalms has, has, uh, says it clearly. And I'll, I'll read some of the passages now. But the Old Testament has, has a number of different counts. There's over 300 counts of the Old Testament prophecies that point to Jesus, where the fulfillment by his life, um, by him in his life on earth, these include a number of different prophecies like his unique birth. Out of Isaiah 7 verses 14, it says that, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give, you, uh, give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. The word Emmanuel means God with us. Who was with us? Jesus. So Emmanuel is just another, another word or another, uh, another name for Jesus. So already Isaiah, uh, back in the early days or in, in, in the Old Testament, was already prophesying about the immaculate conception that was going to take place and that the Son of, uh, of God was going to be born and, and already prof- um, prophetically called out His name as well. Jesus in his earthly ministry, Isaiah again says in, in, in uh, chapter 61, verses 1, it says, the spirit of the sovereign God is upon me. And this, when he talked about me, Jesus was, he was, Jesus was talking about himself. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captors, and release from darkness the prisoners. King David, or David at that time, he wasn't officially king. He was anointed by Samuel, but he hadn't been uh, taking the rightful throne. He writes in, in Psalms 22, he reflects over there. I'm not gonna, I don't have the full scripture over there, but King David at that point reflects about the death of Jesus. You have what is called the Messianic Psalms. It's got seven different areas. It talks about the birth, the ministry, the trial, the death, the resurrection, ascension, and the future. So Psalms 22, 34, and 69 speaks about, um, about Jesus' death. And, and so King David, in his, in his Psalms, prophetically writes about the death of Jesus that's about to come. And so the, the Old Testament is just filled with Jesus. It's filled, the, the pages are just filled with the prophetic nature of Jesus, what is going to come, what is going to happen. And so Jesus was, he was everywhere. He was everywhere in the, in the Old Testament. Testament. And so Jesus also, when he, when he went to Nazareth, I don't know, for those who have watched The Chosen, my lovely wife loves the series, The Chosen. For those who haven't watched The Chosen, please go to Netflix and watch it. It's amazing. Uh, um, Ben's mom, uh, Lisby, loves it as well too. She proclaims it. She's the biggest advocate for it. Every time I speak to her, she does, you know, she, she sings the praise. Of it. It's a wonderful series. Um, so I forgot, Dallas Jenkins is his name, is the director. They've, they've just shot uh, season four. 
Uh, it's a great series. It just, it just is a graphical representation of what happened back then. Uh, so it's, yeah, I just want to encourage you. But there is a scene where Jesus enters the synagogue in Nazareth, and he opens up uh, Isaiah 61, and he reads from it. And the, the, the priests and, and, the, and the, the priesthood and the elders over there were quite shocked when, after he read this. He shocked the religious establishment when he stood in that synagogue reading Isaiah 61. Uh, and, he, and his concluding commentary was this. This scripture has been fulfilled that you are hearing today. And that's out of Luke 4. And, and they, they said that, well, if you're saying that you're, you're going against what, what Moses, you're going against the law of Moses, is, is what, what was said. And Jesus stood up and he says that I am the law of Moses. And they just went absolutely bananas. And they just like took him outside, for those who, who have seen it, took him outside, took him to the, to the hilltop. And they're about to throw him off the cliff. And eventually Jesus did escape. And this is not just, you know, in the in the story, but it's also in the Word. You can read about it again in Luke 4. Uh, it, it describes it in, in very much detail. Isaiah 9, verses 6 as well too. Isaiah prophesies of Jesus Christ that he will come as a baby. Jesus is described with several different names. We see in Micah 5, verses 2, the prophet prophesies that Jesus will be born in Bethlehem. So from the time of the last prophet of Malachi, uh, up until the time that Jesus was born, there was these 400 years that, that passed where there was no new prophets, no new voices that were coming uh, into, into the midst of, of, of the Israelites. It's also known as, as the silent years, as the silent years. So after the Israelites were taken captive in Babylon, they were, most of them had moved back into, uh, into Israel, into Judah, where they were taken captive from. And uh, unfortunately, they didn't continue to serve the Lord as God wanted them to. They were kind of just backslidden. They were worshiping other gods. They took uh, um, the, the men took women from from other uh, nations. They were just they just weren't worshiping God and honoring Him. And they paid the penalty for that over those four hundred years. They were first conquered by the Greeks, then the Egyptians, the Assyrians were uh, conquered them as well too and occupied. And then sixty three years before Jesus was born. The Romans were uh, were occupying that area, and again, if you again, I'm, I'm promoting the chosen series, but if you but if you go and you watch that, you can see how the Romans are occupying the different areas as well. To throughout the movie, there's you know the Roman presence is is very much there, and you can imagine that the you. You be, uh, you, you be um, uh, uh, occupied by another nation for 400 years, you're probably yearning for a savior at that time. You're probably yearning and desiring to be liberated, to be freed from, from, from the occupancy of a foreign country or a foreign nation. And, and you, you can imagine the, the, uh, the, the Israelites at that time, they just had this huge anticipation for the Christ. Of course, at that time, they they, they also had the Old Testament at, at, at that point in time, right? When just as Jesus came, they had the Old Testament. They knew that the Savior was coming. There was over 300 accounts of it, even more, that there, there was going to be a Savior that was going to come and, and redeem them, save them from their situation. And they had an idea of how that was going to look like. They had a, and, and Judas Israt um, um, had, a, had a very um, clear and vivid idea in his mind of how that was going to look like. A lot of the disciples, a lot of the people back in those days when Jesus was walking the earth, expected him to come as a military leader, a, a military liberator. And so when Jesus came and he wasn't quite doing what they thought he was going to do, 
Judas thought, hey, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And so he approached, um, he, he approached the, the priests and the religious leaders, and he, and, and he said to them, hey, look, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to betray Jesus. You guys give me a sum of money, three, uh, was 30, 30 pieces of silver. Now, 30 pieces of silver, guys, back then was not a lot of money. It, is, it was a lot, but it's not, it wasn't like enough, in my mind at least, to justify the Savior of the world. It was about a half a year's salary, roughly, of the average salary here in Sweden, if you had to, to bring it to, to this, this, this day and age is, is, is value. And so you think about that. Why would Judas, why would he, he betray Jesus for half a year's salary? I mean, it's like, if you're going to go big, like really, I mean, like betray him in a, in a big way. But Judas had, had alternative motives. He thought that Jesus was going to rise up in the military leadership style and liberate them in the way that he thought in his mind. And so Jesus, Judas, of course, thought, hey, I'm going to, you know, I've seen Jesus do some miracles. I'm quite sure that Jesus can send down heaven's armies when put into a situation, put into a predicament where he's now going to be taken captive, like for real, and, and be taken and be crucified. He, he, Judas had this in his mind that, hey, and, but Jesus pretty much did the opposite. Peter whipped out his sword then, the garden of semi, cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. Jesus came and said, stop, Peter. It's not, it's not time for that. And what he did is he healed the man's ear right there and then. An incredible, incredible miracle. When Jesus was being taken captive, he was beaten, whipped. He was still, he's still doing miracles, saving the lives of those who are broken. And that, that's an incredible picture of Jesus. And Jesus came, guys, not for, for the Jews at that time. Jesus came for now as well, too. And, he, and he's also come for the future of our children as well. Jesus came with a bigger picture in mind. He came as a multi-generational savior. He didn't come at that, uh, at, at that time just to be able to liberate the Jews from the Romans at that time. He came so that you and I can be freed from the things that hold us bondage today as well too. The sin that keeps us captive, the things that withhold us to experience our best life that Jesus came for, Jesus came for those very things as well too. And so I want to encourage us this morning, guys, that to in this time of Advent, I just want to invite the band up this morning. It's a bit of a shorter sermon today. It's uh, not my usual style. I'm kind of following Justin from last week. But I just want to invite the band up uh, from, to stage. We, we, we're going to be wrapping up. Advent is a time to cultivate a blessed hope. Recognizing God's infinite and eternal goodness. Holding on to the gospel hope of the triumph of the seed of the woman. So as I read in Genesis 3, we spoke about the, the seed or the offspring. Mary was immaculately impregnated through the Holy Spirit when the angels spoke over her. And we see that Jesus came in the form of a child born in, in a manger, in a stable, smelly, saliva-laden manger. Just think about that. That's just incredible. He came here for you, and, for you and I. In the same way that Jesus came for the Israelites to save them of their sins, and release them from their circumstances where they just feel trapped and imprisoned by. And the same way Jesus came for you and I as well too, for your circumstances. I want to share this piece of scripture 
as a, as a message of hope to you this morning, in this time of hope, in this time of Advent, in Psalms 106, verses 1, let's get that on the, on the screen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. Wherever you are at in your life right now, where you feel you're just standing in this place of anticipation for Christ to show Himself, I want to encourage you, friend, this morning to praise the Lord in your circumstances. To give thanks to the Lord in your circumstances. Be preemptive in your prayer, saying, Lord, I thank you for the victory over my circumstances. Lord, I thank you that I am delivered from, from the tenons uh, or, or, or for the tentacles of Satan. I thank you, Lord, that I am delivered, that my children have a bright and prosperous future, that you will never leave me nor forsake me, that you have plans to prosper me, not plans to hurt me, that the plans you have for me of my hope and a future, bright and prosperous future. Church, this morning, let's take a bit of time. Let's close our eyes right now and, and I want you just to reflect upon my words this morning. I want you to come with an anticipatory heart, heart of anticipation, the coming Christ. He's come, He's done, He lives inside of us. He has a, a role to play in our lives this morning. Your prayer might be, you need to overcome a situation where you are struggling when it comes to finances. You don't know what your financial next step looks like. Friend, you might be standing in a situation where, be in a situation where you've been offended by a family member or a colleague. Where you're battling sickness, health is a problem for you. You're waiting for a breakthrough financially to buy a house or desire that job that you've been yearning for. You might be in a broken relationship or, or waiting for that relationship that you desire to be in. You're standing in a place of anticipation for these areas, for Jesus Christ to show himself. Continue to praise the Lord. Give thanks for, to him. His steadfast love endures forever. Not just a mere love, but a steadfast, faithful, enduring love is enough for you and I to see breakthrough take place in our life. As we anticipate, as we yearn, as we desire for Christ to be in all areas in our life, as we submit and as we, as we release everything that we hold dear to, try and be in control of. As I shared last week, I'm losing my job next year for the company I work for. And uh, I must be honest, it, it's the first time I've been in this situation. And I feel like, oh, Lord, what is my next step? I don't know what, what you have in store for me, but I'm going to just trust you. You're a faithful God. You have been faithful over the years that have gone by. Why will you not be faithful in the years ahead? 
you are a faithful God. It's who you are. I just want to pray this morning. Thank you, Jesus. That you were humble enough to come in the form of a human being, being born into an undesirable environment. You're the humble God. You humbled yourself before mankind, before your creation. Creator of this world was born into a manger. God himself, incarnate, found in a manger. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. This is so inconceivable sometimes just to imagine that. Like the creator of this world, born into that. Thank you, Jesus. What an example you've shown for us. And Lord, as we do life, as we take one step at a, at a time, Lord, praying, reading your word, remaining in silence, ruminating on your word, I pray, Father, that you will speak to us, that you will create a sense of comfort in us, knowing that you are the one who provides, who supplies that comfort. It's not our employer. It's not the government. It's you and you alone, Father. You are our source and you and you alone. We thank you for that, Jesus. We worship you this morning. Church, this morning, I just want to, at the end of the service, I just want to invite you to come forward for prayer if there's an area that you're standing and with a sense of anticipation, sense of yearning, sense of desire to see Christ move in a certain area which you feel you might be at a point where you're a little bit impatient or you're just not feeling like there's momentum in that area. I want to invite you for, for prayer. Francis, Lynn, myself, and a few others will be in the front ready to pray for you at the end of the service. Let me invite you forward for that. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go into communion now in a moment. Uh, I just want to welcome those who are going to do the elements to come forward. So um, I just want to read this passage out of Matthew 26, verses 26 to 28 out of the NIV. We'll turn, with that. We'll turn with me to that. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when he, <coughs> and when he, gave, uh, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and then he gave thanks, and he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood, the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Church, say covenant. Covenant. The reason we do communion is to remind us of this new covenant, the body of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. So back in the Old Testament, um, covenant was pretty a pretty serious deal. What happened was that they, two parties that would like to go into a, a covenant agreement together would uh, select an animal, they would slaughter it, literally cut it in half, lay the both uh, sides on the ground, pretty gruesome, 
I know. Thank goodness we don't have to do that anymore to do covenants. Thank you, Lord. Um, and, and then they would have to both walk through the middle of the both halves. And, 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 and once they had done that, they were then in covenant with each other. For whatever reason, they decided to agree, agree upon maybe marriage, maybe a purchase of land, maybe a, a, a promise of a daughter to a, a, whatever it might be. And so when, when, it, when one party within that covenant broke the covenant, the other was, was given permission to, to take the other person's life. They were, they were to receive the penalty of death. That's how serious a covenant was. Pretty hectic. Let's agree. That's pretty, pretty intense. But the new covenant that Jesus made for us when he died on the cross is that what he did, he took our death that we should have received upon himself because every day we are breaking covenant with God through sin in our lives. Jesus took upon the sin of us, of our lives upon him so that we don't have to die. He died in the place of us because we are in covenant with God. When we gave our heart to Jesus Christ and we declared him Lord and Savior, we went into a covenant with God. And because of Jesus' blood, because of his death, he took our sin upon us. He paid the price. He pays the penalty for us not upholding our end of the bargain when it comes to the covenant. And so I wanted us to bear that in mind this morning. When we take covenant or take the, the elements this morning as we go into this, this ceremony of communion, I want us to remember that this is the covenant that Jesus made for you and I that he died on the cross so that you and I can be in relationship with our Father, that we have access and we ourselves don't have to suffer the penalty of death. He did that for us. So wherever you are this morning, I want to invite you guys forward, come through the middle and you can return through the middle or the sides. It's a bit difficult to get there. But when you take this communion, let's, uh, let's, be, let's be reflecting upon that this morning. And before we do so, I just want to speak this benediction over you this morning. Well known one out of number six. Just close your eyes. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.